Hey, and welcome to the real episode 34 of the Thodcast, conversations about animation. I'm your host, Philip. Thank you for joining us. Oh, man, uh, I'm recording this in my living room, and uh, this is kind of an ad hoc uh, setup that we've got last minute to talk about Spider-Man Homecoming, and I'm sharing a microphone here with my friend, a uh, special guest to the Thodcast, how are you doing? Kara, Kara Deptula. How do you say your last name? Kara <laughs> Deptula. Deptula. There we go. Um, welcome to the show, Kara. How are you today? I'm great. Good, good. Well, yeah, we're recording this at night, and um, hopefully we'll have this up uh, a day late uh, compared to what we usually do on the show, which is... I uh, finish ep- editing the show on Thursday and then upload it as soon as possible because I'm a procrastinator. Uh, no, so we're going to talk about we're going to yeah talk about um, Spider-Man: Far From Home, the new film from Marvel and Sony Pictures, um, and the 23rd film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And uh, hopefully, be able to cut out some of this reverb we're getting from this room that we're in uh having to share a microphone as i said um okay so spider-man far from home um is the 11th and final film in the uh phase three of the marvel cinematic universe uh the previous film was the kind of the grand finale like the granddaddy of all the marvel films the many many uh, huge blockbuster action comic book superhero films that we've gotten from uh, Marvel and also uh, Walt Disney Studios. Um, this movie's a little bit of an exception where it's um, it's one of the few remaining of these films to be co-produced by another major studio um, and, and distributed by uh, Columbia Pictures, owned by Sony Pictures. But... Uh, all that boring stuff out of the way. Kara, what did you think of Spider-Man Far I, From Home? I loved it. How many other Spider-Man movies have you seen? Hmm. Possibly three. The uh, Sam Raimi films. So this is actually the uh, eighth theatrical Spider-Man film. So we had the original... Spider-Man in 2002 from Sam Raimi, uh, the director. Um, And then two immediate sequels to that. Um, So that was its own trilogy. The Tobey Maguire films, everyone knows those. Uh, And then there was a reboot uh, in 20... Gosh, 2011? I I can't even remember. Uh, With Andrew Garfield... Uh, maybe 2012. Um, 2012, yeah, I th- think. Yeah, that ran for two films, um, and then Spider-Man got incorporated into the Marvel Cinematic Universe and appeared in Captain America Civil War. However, uh, <laughs> then we're, we're counting the uh, films in which Spider-Man is the headliner. So, uh, yeah, we had the three Raimi films, the two Mark Webb films, and then Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, of course, not MCU. Um, However, that was preceded by Spider-Man Homecoming, the immediate uh, predecessor to this. 
Um, so yeah, eight, eight films. Um, now, now that we have Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, so this is probably what the most, um, well, not to get into too many super superlatives here in our review, but, um, I would say this iteration of Peter Parker is probably the most true to the comics, or at least feels more like a teenager than any of the previous ones. I don't know. What would yes. you think of the character? He definitely felt more like a teenager. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, uh, I mean, this movie certainly puts the comic in comic books. It leans heavily on humor, which Especially I Especially the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought I thought it worked. I mean, there were a lot of things. Um, I really enjoyed Spider-Man: Far From Home. Um, there was, I think, a few ways in which the the plot was subordinated to the humor, but that was okay because the humor was so strong that uh, some of the more head scratcher elements, um, you know, were were kind of overshadowed just by the strength of the writing. And the characters, the, the the jokes, the comedy was very very well played. Also, mm-hmm. it it is what kept me really interested because I'm probably not one of those comic book that person running to the movie mm-hmm. to watch the Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. I like I like comedy, so mm-hmm. I was really captivated. So I felt like this movie had so many different ele- elements to captivate anyone. Yeah, um, comedically, it uh, plays on a lot of the John Hughes tropes of, you know, high schoolers, high school drama, um, and and relationship drama, if you will, uh, prospective relationship drama with Peter Parker, who's never he's kind of an awkward teenager. I think he's sort of up in his head a little bit too much. I he, think maybe yeah. all teenagers might be awkward. <laughs> no, that, that, that's true. This this movie really gets that right. Um, I mean, I certainly was, but like I was an awkward kid uh, who you know was more interested in being book smart than than popular. <laughs> and I think Peter's the same way. So uh, definitely could relate there. But yeah, I don't think he's really. It had much experience in the ladies' department. Um, what What about uh, Zendaya? What do you think of she plays MJ, uh, traditionally known as Mary Jane Watson in the comics and uh, in the Sam Raimi films, but in this, uh, of course, that character is uh, Michelle Jones. Um, I, I guess I don't know if Michelle Jones is a character from the comics directly so they changed her name i wasn't sure why they did that yeah i don't know if they did just for this version i think it was just to probably make it interesting at the end of the previous film in this series uh spider-man homecoming where like oh big twist at the end this you know zendaya is actually playing mj (laughs) mary jane i liked her character Mm -hmm. i thought she was Mm -hmm. a cute little badass Mm -hmm. however at the end she exposed her weakness that she was actually scared to get close to anyone and so that is why Mm -hmm. she acted that way which Mm -hmm. in the adult world that happens a lot there are a lot of people who are too close to get to people Mm -hmm. 
or it's scared to get too close to get to people. Yeah. Because they are scared they'll get hurt. Um, it was an interesting dynamic because, you know, Peter had a big crush on her. She didn't really show it toward him. He had competition from uh, Brad, um, <laughs> this, uh, let's see, character who... Um, so this movie does deal with the aftermath of the Avengers um, films, Infinity War and Endgame. Um, so you have um, some characters who are now uh, five years older than you know oh, right. <laughs> than they should be, because um, uh, yeah, half the world got erased uh, and then brought back. So the characters who got brought back are still the same age, and that includes Peter, MJ, um, Peter's friend Ned, uh, and Betty Bryant, uh, Betty Brandt. Um, this new kid, Brad, um, is technically five years younger than Peter. Uh, he kind of butts in and um, is making the moves on MJ. <laughs> but that, it was a funny, just you know, just to see him trying to compete with uh, a dude who's like traditionally the cool kid. Um, but of course, Peter has the ace up his sleeve, where he is literally a super human <laughs> so he's he's got some um i don't know he's got a leg up in certain respects well there was the entire controversy also about the blip and the snap mm-hmm. that fans called it the snap but they think it was called the blip so then marvel figured out how to work the blip and the snap together did they ever refer to it as the snap in this film i don't think they did no because the blip happened at the end, the snap mm-hmm. happened at the beginning, but it mm-hmm. was always called the blip. It was the fans that called it the snap. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Marvel decided to work it in. Well, they they introduced the notion of the blip in this movie. Yes. And that phrasing makes sense because uh, it, it wasn't permanent. If it were just the snap and half the world is gone... Um, that would make more sense if it were permanent. They wouldn't call it the blip if it were never reversed uh, by by the events of Avengers Endgame. (laughs) Oh, crap. Airplane. Dealing with uh, police helicopters here. (laughs) Um. Yeah, so, Kara, how did you find out about the ending of Avengers Endgame and all the crazy spoiler stuff that happened at that movie. Because you didn't see Endgame, did you? No, but um, when you said that you wanted me to see this movie, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I Googled it a bunch. And Mm -hmm. then afterward, I Googled it. And so I wanted to to know what I was getting into. Yeah. I I wanted to be somewhat educated. (laughs) I, I yeah, I was curious if you wanted to be on the podcast. I uh, wanted to record something for this week, um, and yeah, get around to covering Spider Man on the show because I I really enjoyed it. I wanted to talk about it. Um, so, even however, though, yeah. I don't feel like you needed to see Avengers mm-hmm. to see this movie. It felt like it was very much Spider Man, mm-hmm. except for the very beginning. 
with the funeral, mm-hmm. Whitney Houston, <laughs> very odd comic book type. Mm-hmm. What would you call that? The intro was mm-hmm. really ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, uh, a lot of uh, yeah, just turning these really serious situations from the previous films into <laughs> comedic fodder. Um, it was a nice touch. I mean, because this film really does have a, a much lighter tone than Avengers Endgame. Um, and, you know, Spider-Man dealing with his teen awkwardness and angst, um, really, it, it's always been a bit more uh, lighthearted than, you know, a lot of other comic books. Well, you know, Jumanji was a very funny film. Mm-hmm. And it was also action, but it was based, it had a lot of humor, so it was very similar. Also Sony, yep. Yeah, there was a trailer for the new Jumanji film before this movie. Um, So they're trying to promote the heck out of that (laughs) and come up with something to compete against, you know, the behemoth that is Disney Fox now. Well, Disney does not have, uh, you know, any other of its acquisitions in its you know, company uh, name, but um, yeah, it's uh, pretty incredible that <laughs> we're now seeing um, just what the top five most successful films from this year being pretty much exclusively from one company. Uh, I mean, that'll probably change now with Spider Man uh, Far From Home because it is a uh, technically like a Sony Pictures production, but yeah, I guess co-production with Marvel. So <laughs> uh, Disney still gets quite a bit of the cash from this. And it's been a pretty successful film. It had um, $185 million six-day opening with uh, 4th of July because it opened on July 3rd, a Tuesday, or July 2nd, which was a Tuesday. Then yeah, July fourth is a Thursday, um, and then yeah, kind of racked up a decent amount uh, in in its opening week. Uh, so yeah, well, um, going back to Spider Man and his uh, adventures and kind of wrapping up his high school career. Um, they're they're off on this uh, European vacation. And is this supposed to be after his senior year of high school? I oh. suppose maybe. Hmm. Um, it didn't feel like it was after the senior year. It felt like they were going back to school. Yeah, in the next term. Um, but this is a summer vacation uh, term. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't talking about going to college. Um, so, I don't know. It's uh, maybe in Spider-Man Homecoming, that was the year in which he got snapped out of existence. So he had to retake that year. So, you know, he was, he was a junior. Now he's a junior. I'm getting bogged down in these details as a tangent. But uh, ultimately, we... Uh, you know, dealing with the kid. He's kind of an awkward kid. Uh, I mean, he's not unattractive, that's for sure. But um, he's in the science club. <laughs> and uh, 
um, has to win the heart of MJ. And that's one of the driving plot points in this film. I think we should talk about the other couple. Oh, yeah, that was a great (laughs) comedic bit. So speaking of like the moments where comedy overruled flimsy logic, um, the the feed between Ned and um, uh, Betty, (laughs) Peter's scheme to, you know, kind of win over MJ during the plane ride does not work. Uh, Instead, the other classmate, Betty, ends up sitting next to Ned. Um, and they, at the end of the ride, oh my gosh. Well, well they didn't like each other at first. They didn't. They had no chemistry. They, uh, it didn't seem like there was any potential there. But um, we do see MJ and Brad just totally, you know, getting, <laughs> um, getting along nicely during the ride hanging out on their double headphones <laughs> yeah they've got a headphone splitter that they're sharing or something <laughs> watching movies together on the plane as long as they're depressing or hilarious um so peter's all paranoid that now mj and brad are a thing and ned tries to reassure him by saying like oh, no way that's uh you got nothing to worry about man uh, oh, by the way, this girl that I've just spent seven hours on a plane with is now uh, my girlfriend. <laughs> so doesn't do much. Sense. So that's creates some good conflict for Peter, knowing that it was cute and they yeah. were boyfriend and girlfriend the whole time. It was sort of hilarious. They mm-hmm. stuck together and then at the end they broke up. Yeah, yeah. If if they are a couple now, Betty and Ned, then <laughs> oof. Uh, trying to now um, <laughs> get in the mix with MJ might be uh, a lot more complicated. Thankfully, uh, Peter will soon attain the, obtain the assistance of um, Nick Fury and the uh, defense um, missile defense network, Edith. Uh, <laughs> in the form of these um, sunglasses that Nick Fury gives him. Did you like Edith? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Edith was really crazy. (laughs) I enjoyed Edith. Every time he put the glasses on, I knew something really great was going Mm. to happen. Yeah, Edith was, I have in my notes, um, basically Star Wars, the space defense program from the 1980s, uh, meets the Patriot Act, meets the thing from The Dark Knight, where they're able to use cell phone technology to um, perform surveillance on the entire population of Gotham. Um, and so, obviously, a lot of ethical implications, very negative ethical implications in someone having this type of technology. Um but we are. This is the MCU where all kinds of crazy technology exists, and there are aliens and there are god beings. So <laughs> someone's got to take that responsibility. Uh, with great power <laughs> comes great responsibility. 
So Edith, um, if Peter wants to call in a drone to take out anyone he wants, Brad, <laughs> Brad, <laughs> he is totally at liberty to do so. So he almost killed someone on accident. Yeah, another moment where comedy sort of outweighed because it's like, aren't these students on this bus going to get a little bit more upset than they were <laughs> that they almost went over a cliff, but. Immediately, as soon as Peter goes, hey, look, there's baby goats. <laughs> they all turn and look the other way. Oh, uh, yeah, Martin Starr shines as Mr. Harrington. Oh, my gosh. When he starts talking about <laughs> how his wife faked her death <laughs> to after the snap. Oh, my gosh. To I know. Get away from him. <laughs> I felt so bad for that character. <laughs> that and then he dropped his camera in the water. Maybe the funniest joke of the of the movie. And it's like, really, would someone really fake their death? After this global catastrophe, this woman is really going to pretend that she was among the deceased just so she could get away from this dude. <laughs> that would happen, especially in LA. Probably. Probably. Um, J.B. Smoove plays the other teacher, Mr. Dell. He's hilarious. <laughs> well, like they say, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, but when in Venice, uh, your feet get wet. <laughs> Just the ultimate dad joke machine. Um, gosh. I don't know. Um, we're not going to like go through every plot point and joke and just totally ravage any... <laughs> humorous potential that they had but um oh yeah but you are, know what we should talk we about. are going full spoilers for spider-man i mean that's how these podcasts go we just go into full spoilers yeah we should talk about the the netherlands and night monkey oh well so the scene that takes place in the netherlands is hilarious that's the jail uh, scene gosh up there for the top comedic moment <laughs> uh and that's well into the plot of the i mean that's after the big twist and everything um i mean the the jail what's what's that called the jail is the holding cell the holding guy was we wearing his mask oh yeah, yeah and he unlocked himself he broke the lock the guys <laughs> in the cell were like what peter just nonchalantly rips the padlock off the cell door <laughs> the the soccer fans that are in there for the night <laughs> it's like they're in the drunk tank they just got a little too rowdy it was so good uh, they just that was so <laughs> pull the, pull european the door. yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just nice decent european folk um you know peter's able to borrow a, someone's cell phone no problem <laughs> It's uh, very, very quaint. Um, but yeah, all of it, it was a fun kind of globetrotting adventure. Um, no, I guess mainly just Europe, like a road trip feature. Um, we got to see Venice and then Prague, a little bit of Berlin, uh, Netherlands, um, and then kind of culminates in London. We don't get to see Paris. That was teased. Right. If they were going to go to Paris, but it didn't work out. Um, it's very expensive to shoot in France. 
Yeah, well, Peter and MJ do get to bond over their shared love of Paris a little bit. Um, yeah, good to see that she wasn't taken with Brad's macho <laughs> antics. Um, but, you know, ultimately she did have a thing for Peter. It did play with the idea of, like, Peter's fame. Because she, you know, won... Uh, kind of first major twist in the movie well no uh this twist does occur after the first major twist which is you know involving the the new character uh, unveiled in this film Mm. mysterio played by um jake gyllenhaal plays quentin beck um a character supposedly from another dimension i don't know what did you buy that at first yeah. 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 Yeah, I thought he might have been a sympathetic character. We see him at the very beginning when Nick Fury and Maria Hill are investigating this um damn you know, this kind of destroyed city in Mexico. Um the tornado that had a face on it. <laughs> and then um n- n- uh well that doesn't a rock monster then suddenly show up at the beginning? I don't know which was first. There was a rock monster. There was a tornado. No, the first one's a w- the water monster. Well, in the opening scene in Mexico, they investigate this site because it there was a tornado with a face um, that ravaged this city. But then once they get there, there's no more, you know, storm. Uh, but a new creature appears, and it's I believe it's the rock monster um and then mysterio shows up and attacks it and presumably you know defeats it um because then later in the movie we get the water monster in venice and then the fire monster in um prague um so so it's the four elements we're dealing with the the four elements Mm. of the primeval age <laughs> in this it's it's interesting interesting how it's described by mysterio um these are like they were created in a stable orbit of a black hole uh, representing the four primal elements water earth fire air um i'm a little iffy about power or magic systems involving like the four primal elements because it's kind of arbitrary it's like water earth fire air it's not very scientific right wait i i I think those might be the elements of science (laughs) well we have the periodic table and that has a hundred i mean they're probably they're up to 120 something now right on the periodic table so (laughs) reducing that down to four just seems a little archaic but what do you do you think the four elements are still relevant i think there's i think the four elements considering we just had earthquakes last week will always be relevant well we do have like here here's how it works scientifically for me is there are four states of matter um solid liquid gas and uh, plasma so i think those fairly accurately reflect the four primal elements uh, that you find in fiction and ancient lore 
so f um, solid would be earth, uh, liquid would be water, you know, represented mainly by water, um, air, gas uh, would, you know, mainly by air, sky, wind, and then plasma, fire, because plasma is basically just the particles that are un, um, unbonded and are normally produced in during like chemical reactions sort of so yeah. what would you rather see what would i rather see mm -hmm. uh, the the four states of matter or the four elements outside of that yes um i mean i i, I kind of lean more towards mystical just straight up mystical systems that either you know telepathy or um cosmic magic okay so like aliens witches zombies vampires yeah yeah stuff that more... and everything mm -hmm. in between all the made up uh transmortals reptilians there are mm -hmm. things out there that are evil other than the mm -hmm. the elements the elements are not necessarily evil no at at their root it's, mm -hmm. it's just still nature mm-hmm no I I think it works well but we find out in this movie that these creatures are fake <laughs> so it doesn't really matter within the context of this film you know whether elemental magic is a thing um, but it's an interesting concept because um, I don't care if you know, we talk about Frozen a lot on this show. <laughs> right, but I have no comparison. <laughs> yeah, you haven't seen it. The new, the sequel does involve the four elements quite a bit. Um, so we're going to get into uh, how, just exactly how those magical mechanics work within the world of Frozen. Um, and, and like, I, I'm not, you know, I like there being like a strong connection between magic and science for, you know, the energy is, um, what's the word, conserved. And, uh, you know, it's, you're dealing with just uh, limitless abilities to sort of fluctuate between states of, of matter and, um, you know, various uh, interdimensional properties, uh, as this film also explores a little bit. Um, but then you have uh, you know, Avatar: The Last Airbender, which deals with the four elements, which I love tremendously. It's m like my favorite TV show ever. Um, so it's it's not something I'm knocking. It's just um, it can get a little clunky. Well, nature is very magical, but it may not be the best ideal, the best thing to use for something evil. Mm -hmm. So it works for mm -hmm. Frozen. It's not an evil movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, we've also talked about the Dragon Prince on this show, and that deals with six sources of magic found in nature, and those sources are are um, the sun, the moon, the uh, sky. That's three stars. The stars, the land, the earth. Um, clouds and sun, moon, stars, and the ocean. Oh, so yeah, they left uh, the clouds out. <laughs> well, that's sky. <laughs> um, 
and then there's the seventh source which is blood you know blood magic you know living you know taking stealing magic from living beings um life force you um, just went really dark though <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah which is the type of magic that humans are most readily able to perform <laughs> of course how you meet eaters out there yeah exactly <laughs> um so yeah the the uh twist of Mysterio being just this master illusionist who uses this crazy technology the barf technology that we see in earlier film I can't even remember which it was uh, by uh, Robert yeah. Downey Jr. Um, in Avengers Tony Stark yes thank you <laughs> well I'm trying to remember which film exactly that was it might have been Avengers Age of Ultron um, <laughs> where he's giving that TED talk and showing off that technology. Um, but they all kind of run together for me. <laughs> right. Um, it, it's interesting that this character, so he's not from an alternate dimension, but like when people recognize his face, I suppose they just have to scrub through every kind of data bank they can find that might have his, you know, his image as they have the kind of hacking technology at Stark Industries I suppose to do that um, but it seems like he he could get outed fairly easily as a fraud if he's not careful he changed his hair grew a beard yeah changed his hair yeah for sure no and he wasn't a public figure before he became Mysterio so um yeah. Um, well, he was fired. He was what? Fired. He was fired. That's right. So I think he was one of like the PAs, production assistants. Well, he was a project lead on that augmented reality system. And then that would later be incorporated into Edith, where uh, you, know, you can just look through these glasses and see all these you know details appear before you for anything involving technology or basically anything in your field of vision, you can inquire Edith and she'll provide you a detailed uh, breakdown of everything you can see, you know, you could imagine. It's, it's, it's almost like the Iron Man suit, but just in a pair of glasses. <laughs> but yeah, the crazy technology that we have now in the MCU, these like, augmented reality projectors these holograms uh, now make it possible for a character to simply like prevent pretend to be a superhero and to cause these crazy events like these um the elementals um did i don't know uh did you believe that he was able to create these elementals using the technology that he had or that did that seem too far-fetched was I mean, you had to believe it because you were there watching the movie. Mm -hmm. But it was hard to believe that people fell into that and believed it. Um, it was it was a bit much. Yeah, how do you create these, you know, impacts and these the, like the fire damage from the the one fire? Exactly. 
with <laughs> elementals. So uh, it's supposed to be like molten lava, basically. So what's creating? You know, are these drones capable? Yeah. Right. So the drones must have been capable of creating all that destruction. Yeah. Well, they have flame flower, flamethrowers, and then they have machine guns, which apparently are responsible for a lot of the wind damage that these things deal. Uh, but you did see yeah. when they called in all the drones, how mm -hmm. many drones they called in. Mm -hmm. However, when he went up into the monsters, mm -hmm. it didn't seem like he had more than six drones floating around. I mean, there were quite a bit. There were quite a few um, drones. It had had to have been dozens for that final monster that combined all the different elements. Um so he, but he just, yeah, it made the appearance of a solid object that he just flew or, you know, was able to swing into. Well, he uh, he used his um, basically like a wingsuit, the, the web, the wing <laughs> uh, flaps on his new suit that he made. But it was a really smart concept because mm -hmm. what, I mean, the thoughts behind it to create that and it, who who could even think of that? It was a story within a story within a story, in a way. Yeah, yeah. He um, had a team. It wasn't just one person. <laughs> he, they did a lot of legwork in justifying how somebody could pull off a stunt like that. Even with the technology they had available, it took a team of dozens of former Stark employees, perhaps current Stark employees, um, to like, you know, they found out what, what Peter Parker's itinerary was. They found out that Stark was, uh, you know, choosing Peter as the heir to his technology. Um, so that's why it wasn't just a coincidence that the water um elemental appeared in venice at the same time that peter was there no that Quint quentin um designed it so that that creature would appear near peter so that peter would you know uh, come into contact with mysterio and then you know quentin and peter could develop this this relationship to hopefully allow i i guess him to get a hold of edith Mysterio um, wouldn't have been able to do everything that he did without Edith. He needed Edith. Yeah. Because he had no real powers. Edith gave him a lot well, more powers. A lot more. He uh, Quentin had access to a limited number of drones, but Edith gave him you know, an entire satellite station's worth. Um, but with the drones that he had before Edith, he was able to generate these, uh, the smaller individual elementals. And then um, the, the way that he is able to like create damage and like kinetic effects to the environment um, is explained in that these um, drones have like these force field generators. And that actually is a callback to the one of the first films in the MCU, uh, The Incredible Hulk, where they, they use these similar sonic devices to subdue the Hulk. They just blast him with these waves of energy. And that kind of like haptic feedback system 
is what enables you know the virtual or the augmented reality or um system of the drones to like be fully um kind of functional and act as though these are objects that exist within a physical space because you see a lot of moments when like peter's caught within this uh virtual reality program that uh Mysterio creates specifically for Spider-Man for Peter. Um, there are moments where like Peter's being, um, you know, punched or he's falling down through webs and stuff. And I was wondering how how do they simulate that using these drones? Well, there must be some kind of haptic system um, allowing for right because he was really feeling that yeah yeah he was actually and that was really happening until he put on his peter tingle which (laughs) he developed in the plane the jet um he created that other suit Mm -hmm. and in that other suit i believe he put more mechanisms yeah Yeah, definitely designs this crazy advanced suit including Um. peter tingle in his (laughs) intuition yeah also known as Spidey Sense. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, the Peter Tingle, hilarious. Um, one of several uh, anatomical jokes in these films. <laughs> uh, I mean, the first of these, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, you know, you have Flash Thompson who just straight up calls Peter <laughs> Penis Parker. <laughs> oh. Um, and then, yeah, the Peter Tingle, and then you have the line with him. Oh, the it's, uh, this, he's talking about his spy, sp- his, it's a very sleek-looking black suit, his spy suit, um, or a.k.a. Um, Night Monkey. <laughs> right, and why did they really do that? Why did they ch- change the suit? Because he's trying to maintain his secret identity. In Europe. In Europe. But... Mm-hmm. It's a, whose idea was it really to make him wear a different suit in Europe? And why couldn't he really wear the Spider-Man suit, the red suit? Yeah, I guess, you know, Nick Fury makes the comment that it's just not practical to be breathing through spandex. <laughs> so might as well get a suit that, you know, is more functional. But Spider-Man does make the comment. It's a little tight around the old web shooter. And uh, I don't think he was talking about his wrists. Right. <laughs> uh, um, let's see. We, uh, yeah, so they, they did a good job of, like, explaining why um, Mysterio was able to create all these crazy simulations. Um, we're getting into that. Like, it reminded me of the Scarecrow in the in batman begins where like that character's causing batman to hallucinate actually more accurately the scarecrow from the batman video games is able to send batman into this whole other you know psychedelic realm and he's having all these um hallucinations appear around him and that was very similar to the you know the virtual reality sequences in this film but it felt it, this movie as opposed to other MCU films felt a lot like a Spider-Man movie just very colorful whimsical um high-flying action 
Uh, Spider-Man doesn't do a whole lot of Spider-Manning for a lot of it. <laughs> he's he's kind of useless against these elemental beings. Yeah, his powers didn't really work for very much of anything. He needed his intuition for everything Spidey sense mm-hmm. uh, more than the webs. For sure. I mean, if every if anything, this movie was more about how he screwed up everything. <laughs> And how he gave Edith away to the wrong people. And how he was terrible at love. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Talk about the (laughs) near world ending blunder on on the level of like Star-Lord fudging the... uh, Sub, you know, subduing of Thanos and Infinity War, which you didn't see, Kara, but like there's a moment in Infinity War where the big bad of the MCU almost gets taken out, but one character had to go and like get irrational and uh, <laughs> sabotage that whole effort. Um, it, it's, you know, it, it's debatable as to how much of an effect that moment really had in the overall scheme of things. Um, in, in that film. But <laughs> and then Peter told Mysterio, who he thought was Fury, mm. who he told. So then Mysterio was then out to kill all of his friends. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he made it was one blunder after another because of these because of these virtual reality monsters and figmentations. He Mysterio was oddly. Uh, adept with his uh yeah like he he was capable of generating multiple layers of his illusions um jake gyllenhaal was an amazing (laughs) bad guy because i did not like him at all in this movie yeah he he was always multiple steps ahead um quite amazing that he was able to even be defeated in the first place but um Right, even at the end, he create he knew to create the video mm-hmm. to sabotage Peter after he had already died. When when did he have time to do that? Gosh, I mean, I suppose technically, uh, as Peter is trying to fight his way through the drones towards Mysterio on the bridge, he just thought immediately, oh gosh, I'll come up with this scheme to out Peter Parker as Spider-Man in these you know brief seconds that I have before he, he gets me. <laughs> here's the thing about people that are a little bit, mm-hmm. or villains, people, mm-hmm. villains, that are a little more rooted in uh, evil, is that that's how they naturally think. Oh. So it's really easy for them to come up with things like that. Whereas someone who naturally thinks from a pure-hearted space, it would take a lot of work to come up with an idea like that. So for him, it was probably just his natural way of thinking. I need to take footage of this just in case so I can sabotage Peter. Wow. Right? So that explains why I'm so bad at improv. No. Are you saying I'm evil? Because I'm pretty good at improv. (laughs) No, those are unrelated skill sets. (laughs) Scheming and spontaneous uh, association. Yes. Uh, so I mean that that's we've we've been talking about this for a little while. I mean, overall. Oh wait, yeah. except yeah. we did disclose his name at the end. 
Oh yeah, I mean, spoiler alert. <laughs> as we said, it's Peter Parker is now revealed as Spider-Man to the world by, and this was my favorite moment of the movie, uh, J.K. Simmons as J. Jonah Jameson returning from his role in the original Spider-Man films, <laughs> uh, reprising his role, I should say. Um, I jumped in my seat when I saw J.K. Simmons appear on screen. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the greatest moment in the entire MCU. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I, no one else could play that character. So, they, and Zendaya yeah. also knew that he was Superman ahead of time, so we didn't touch on that. Yeah, she she figured it out. She was only sixty seven percent sure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and ultimately, like the reason why she liked Peter was not that he was Spider Man. She had always liked him as a person and had genuine feelings for him. Um, so it was good that they resolved that. But it's like, yeah, I guess now that people know that I'm Spider-Man, I could get whatever girl I want because I'm super strong, super smart. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I have that Avengers, that sweet, sweet Avengers tech and Avengers cash. <laughs> no, I don't I'll, know. I'll hold my comment there. <laughs> it was quite sarcastic. What comment? No, no. No, I mean, it's just the movie star mentality. The mm -hmm. people that they think they're going to become, if they're, or if they are famous, they think they're going to, they can get every girl that they want. Yeah. It's, it's a common theme in this city. Yeah. I mean, provided Peter sorts out this now um, problem with his public image and now that, you know, he's going to be blamed for killing Mysterio, who was now, you know, never proven to be a villain uh he he it's you know us being alleged by jameson that peters used stark technology to create these illusions <laughs> right but mysterio had mm -hmm. so many people on his team mm -hmm. that somebody's gonna come out and we'll yeah. out him at some point i think so anyway yeah i don't think it's gonna be too difficult for peter to get back um, you know, get, get redemption, um, and get back into the <laughs> the line, or you know, his heroicism is is going to be um, reconciled, I believe, in fairly short order because he's got plenty of Avengers and other heroes who can vouch for him. I feel like I should say that not all movie stars think that way, by the way, just to let you know, because I do have friends that are famous and not all of them are like that. No, they, they generally want Just to people. let you know. They, they want people who will appreciate them as who they are and not because of their public persona. Yes, but there are some that become famous at a young age and they, their heads get really big and then they, it creates an, uh, a very interesting... Yeah. dynamic in their brain uh my business partner was a child actor and was also did a lot of tv he's amazing he's wonderful we are working on a great project together so uh you know i'm just joking around <laughs> well we both enjoyed this film a lot um i don't know if there are any final thoughts but i i would say sometimes we score these on a scale of 10 it doesn't really mean anything but 
for me in terms of enjoyment, I'd probably give it like an 8.5. Wow, that's low, Phil. That's not low. I mean, (laughs) I I thought it was great. I would give it a 10. Okay, that's good. I mean, they put a lot of thought into things. They tried to really explain a lot of the outlandish um, plot elements that... um, you know, really take the MCU into a whole new place uh, in terms of what, just what is possible. Um, Edith, crazy barf technology, the drones. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's a brave new world out there. Um, and it's, it'll be interesting to see where they, how they outdo what they did with Mysterio. Um, I, I don't know. Hopefully they'll bring it down maybe a notch in one of these future films and just, you know, let it let things play out more traditionally um, <laughs> because we now have basically Spider-Man, who is just a new and improved version of Iron Man. <laughs> uh, whereas typically we associate Spider-Man with just, a, you know, he's got a colorful rogues gallery and... He swings around, shoots webs at people. Right, but they want to create more <laughs> stories, and they can't necessarily create the same story over and over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. So they, I mean, this is still an industry. They want to make money, and they also want to en- entertain people, mm-hmm. and they're not going to do that with the same story. So mm-hmm. they're, they're shifting it, and I could imagine that they'll shift it and shift it again, and then maybe mm-hmm. shift it back. Yeah, well... We're moving into phase four. Um, I, I don't even... So we're getting more Guardians for sure. We're getting a Black Widow movie. Um, all kinds of stuff. Um, definitely probably going to see another Spider-Man solo film within the next couple of years. Sony Pictures isn't going to want to let that go. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, of course, uh, we'll be getting more of those, but that'll be disconnected from the MCU. Uh, I mean, this movie does introduce the idea of the multiverse, but it ends up being a farce. Um, but you never know, that could come into play, um, realistically, uh, at some point. So yeah, any, any other final thoughts, Kara, before we wrap it up? I believe that we have covered everything that I wanted to. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we uh, there's a lot to say about this movie, but um, we'll let the audience, our listeners, find out for themselves <laughs> or decide for themselves. It's definitely worth seeing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and hopefully you have seen it already if you're listening to us here i even told my parents to see it and my mom does not like anything where anyone blows up or dies Mm -hmm. (laughs) i thought she'd appreciate the humor Mm -hmm. because i thought it was hilarious yeah yeah definitely a fun romp um all right so uh you can find the thodcast at thodcast.com Follow us on social media at Thodcast on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, the Thodcast, conversations about animation. Um, this is episode 34. I know I said last episode was episode 34. I was totally wrong. In fact, I had a joke that I was considering making about rule 34, the internet rule about how everything can be turned into porn. 
but decided <laughs> yeah. against it because it was in poor taste. But now I'm just uh, revealing it to you all now, so <laughs> it, um, it's out in the open now. Uh, no, so this is officially episode 34. Last episode was 33. Um, and uh, you can, Kara, where can uh, everyone find you? On Instagram, at C-A-R-A-D-E-P-T-U-L-A, at Kara Deptula. All right. You can find me, Philip Elke, at Philip Elke, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Find the Thoughtcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and SoundCloud. And um, I think that about does it. Thanks for tolerating my incorrigible rambling. He's horrible. <laughs> I'm awful. Horrible. <laughs> I'm, awful <at> this. <laughs> oh, I'm joking. Stay tuned. Uh, have a wonderful day and a magical week, or however I like to say that. I don't care. Uh, it's a frozen podcast, so I should sign off by saying warm hugs. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, bye, y'all.